Welcome to Supply Chain Radio. My name is Greg Kiefer, and today I have a special guest with me, Richard Barnett. Welcome to the show, Richard. Happy New Year, Greg. Yeah, same to you. 2016, I can't believe it. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a great year. Yeah, the years are flying by. So, you know, we see a lot of news and kind of uh, projections and predictions in the world of technology. And there was something I saw the other day that I couldn't miss, which came out from Boston Consulting Group mm-hmm. that talked about how we are entering the third and most consequential wave of digital disruption. And I guess, what are the first two before we talk about wave three? (laughs) There's been a lot of coverage around concept of digital supply chain, for example, or digital transformation. I've seen a lot of our consulting partners, for example, have different frameworks around this. It's really sometimes kind of heady stuff. But this piece by BCG, I think, was extremely well done. It's really interesting. And we probably can't go into all of it, but let me try to highlight what I found pretty cool in terms of kind of the parallel evolution of digital disruption, specifically around supply chain and supply chain networks. So the first two phases, as the way they kind of describe it, the first wave was really the commercial internet, the dot-com era. I mean, this takes me back in time, those heady days in 99, 2000. But what they characterized that first wave was really around falling transaction costs. So what happened was, is that you, you know, maybe disintermediated the middleman, or you could get access to information immediately, or you could enable transactions at a very, very low cost, whether that was e-commerce or otherwise. And it really was disruptive. I mean, we all kind of witnessed that. And what happened was that value chains got deconstructed. New competitors could enter in, or they could specialize and add very specific slivers of value in this new world. And that really was what we saw play out in the first, I don't know, three to four or five years post the B2B bubble burst, boom. You know, a lot of innovation happened then. The second wave, called Web 2.0, was really what they describe, and I like the way they describe it, is that small became beautiful. Isn't that a nice way of looking at it? It's kind of a combination of things that happened, but it's all about the long tail. Right. You remember when we were all talking about video or publishing, for example, self-publishing to the long tail. I mean, you didn't have to have an audience of millions. You could have an audience of two to three thousand and have a viable web show, let's say, you know, that people globally love. Or a supply right? chain radio podcast. Well, there you go. This is a great example of the innovation that happened right. in the second stage. And the examples that they walk through from like a technology perspective are leveraging open source or crowdsourcing or curating communities of app developers. So all of that, the app networks, right, that got developed for like the iPhone, for example. Those are all great examples of that second phase of small is beautiful, empower those small players to participate in a marketplace or an ecosystem. Now it's on to the wave three, right? That's what they're saying. And what is that? Well, they describe it as big, really big is now beautiful. So hyperscaling is really the theme here. What we're seeing is this transition where there's a convergence really of a number of factors that are changing and shifting business models, ecosystems at a company or at a business industry level in which hyperscaling architectures for business now create totally transformational or highly disruptive events. So they kind of start with the Amazon story, which is a good one because Amazon went through each of those three big phases. I mean, if you remember way back when, it was just an online bookstore. That's the root and heart of Amazon's model. Just to take on traditional book selling, you know, you put an e-commerce site together. But what really quickly they started doing was that they started enabling a marketplace where you had feedback. Remember when you know, you'd score one to five stars right on a book that you read, for example, and all of a sudden that started changing and allowing for a community 
online, not just a transaction engine, where you could trust the advice and the information that you receive from users you don't know. And that debate still kind of rolls on, you know, in terms of your local bookstore and the local community versus the online sort of anonymous community. But so much of what the Amazon did there was to innovate in that phase one. Right. Now, if you think of hyperscale, yeah. or, you know, big is beautiful, right? Yeah. And supply chain, this is supply chain radio. Right. What does it mean? I mean, where do you see it going in the world of supply chain and commerce? The Amazon implication, their evolution to hyperscale, we see in bits and pieces. I mean, it's kind of exciting, right? So they've got 80 fulfillment centers that can fulfill anything. They have an amazing innovation process, right? Where they work backwards, they write a press release of what would be the launch. And then they work backwards from the press release. That's our launch planning process. And they try to do things in like 90 days or you know, less than six months. So the whole concept of innovation with drones and two-hour delivery, they're constantly on that innovation curve. And they're disrupting not just normal merchandise bookstores, they're disrupting multiple industries all at the same time. So that's kind of the pivot point for them in this article. And I think it's something that we talk about now, the Amazon effect. The other side of what Amazon's doing, though, is also in hyperscale, which is Amazon Web Services which right. we take advantage of now. And Infor has been a huge partner with them. So it's kind of interesting, right? And that means like on-demand computing. If you had some really, really hard kind of uh, bursty need for, for computing power, Amazon Web Services is fantastic. For every cloud startup or SaaS company or new service offering is leveraging this sort of shared set of services that Amazon's at the heart of. So they're kind of an interesting story that they lead with, but the implications are broader. And the point around hyperscale is moving from this concept of one-to-one relationships to many-to-many or many-to-one. And in supply chain, we've clearly seen that evolution. If you go back to the 80s, right, the idea of electronically connecting to your key trading partners or your key suppliers or your banks or your customers was done through EDI. And everyone at EDI is still a powerful force, right, as an integration protocol standard. But something that we've seen that's been a very disruptive shift is to shift from one-to-one connectivity into a shared network, a network set of services. And not just around integration, or just exchanging transactions, but actually moving to a shared almost utility to orchestrate very complex multi-tier processes. And we've seen that evolution occur in logistics, in coming together with logistics service providers, leveraging a network to service many customers at the same time, or in distribution and fulfillment to offer shared services that enable both the process orchestration and then taking advantage of maybe that final mile service partner in, the, in local markets. And, and more and more, that's where really right now we see this massive shift to take advantage of hyperscale for supply chain orchestration. And what the article goes into is ubiquitous connectivity and convergent data in big data scenarios, right? Which is the other kind of related dimension to this. Because what I was talking around connectivity and integration is really around structured transactions. It's POs, it's invoices, it's shipments. Okay, that's all that's kind of the, the glue that sort of extends from how the enterprise was managed and standardized around core business transaction processing into how do you do that across all your network of trading partners and key partners in the network. What they're highlighting, and it's also these two worlds are converging, is how do you take advantage of big data? The article talks about all these great things that you can do if you had access to big data to, say, understand 
consumer sentiment, right? Or to sense and respond to some change in the market. And in supply chain, we see that. And there's been some great innovation that's gone on around what I call the demand side of the equation. And so companies are investing a lot to get a better read on the market and to understand what's really happening at the point of consumption of a product, good, and service, even if they're selling or providing that good or service through maybe a multi-tier distribution network or through channel partners. They want to get to that point. And you have to kind of do that through triangulation of big data. Right. The Internet of Things, which is another favorite buzzword bingo topic that sort of means everything and nothing, depending on how you define it, is part of this convergence, right? So now you're talking about ubiquity of devices that are getting wired up. They're sort of connected. They have an IP address. That's a big disruptive shift. But what they're talking about, what kind of connects the dots at hyperscale, that then becomes a disruptive trend that companies can either take advantage of or be victims of is when you have the ability at hyperscale to have, for example, big data insights with connected devices with a network. And so what I read and what I think this article frames out in a very interesting way is to think about how do you take advantage of, as a business model strategy, the convergence of these new capabilities? And I think what we're seeing in partnership with some of our key customers and partners that are on our network is we're right at this point of innovation now of new business models. And we're looking at companies beginning to think through, are there new routes to market that I never thought of before? Are there new services that I can offer that I was never able to offer before that can be new revenue streams? Can I transform my experience of working with my customer? Can I, you know, you got this sort of sensor predictive maintenance, self-regulating or or self-monitoring machines, right? Or devices. We're seeing with some of our customers like Caterpillar and other companies that have embedded sensor information in their equipment, let's say, that's deployed as an asset for their customers, predictive maintenance, self-monitoring. And if you combine big data and analytics around all that sensor information that's deployed, you start seeing some trends, you start seeing some insights that you didn't really understand before. Now you can optimize the maybe the experience for the customer and flip business models upside down. And you can become more of a, let's say, of a product company, a service company, for example, right? Or, right. you know, embed it into a a service subscription versus just the asset purchase itself. We've seen a lot of that innovation already occur in certain industries, but what I'm seeing now is from a supply chain perspective, which is really still cutting edge, the ability to orchestrate or correlate those investments in IoT, right, from a sensor data to big data with orchestration of the broader supply chain, right? And and that means taking advantage of your extended supply chain to achieve new levels of agility, responsiveness, time to market by combining kind of that three-legged stool together. And they really do outline a framework for thinking through that. Obviously, using Amazon as an example, Amazon makes no secret of what it's trying to do from a supply chain perspective, right? So a lot of this cool stuff is being told through the supply chain eyes, which I think is really cool. It reminds me of UPS's whiteboard ads. We love logistics. We love logistics, yeah. Right. was such a great PR campaign because it just kind of gave the public a sense of I don't know what all this complex supply chain logistics stuff is, but the way they simplified it for me, I got it. And you do see this kind of 
convergence of the consumerization, not just of, say, IT or how we use technology or devices or e-commerce expectations. Because a lot of the Amazon effect is saying, why can't I, if I buy a million dollar piece of equipment, why can't I see, just like Amazon, maybe the milestone by milestone delivery information or have multiple options of when I want to receive it and deliver it? Those expectations around service delivery omni-channel fulfillment strategies, right, are kind of going cross-industry, right, all over the place. But what this article does, I think, is really provides a, a broader strategic map, which is really what they're trying to do, around how to think about the strategy around taking advantage of a network that has ubiquity, right, that has the ability to correlate devices and sensor and big data information. And I think from a supply chain perspective, we're just now seeing the convergence of where that's coming together. So we have to get a link of that up on our website, but that's a really fascinating article and a cool story. So thanks for sharing your thoughts. And this is Supply Chain Radio, signing off. <laughs>